Shalom, Barukim, Habayim, to everyone, to the Bet Midrash for Parsha Achare Mot. If you are so fortunate to live in Eretz Yisrael, welcome to Parsha Kadoshim. <laughs> so we will be uh, doing a repeat of Achare Mot in our community this week in Yisrael. We'll be ahead of us all the way until the end of the book of Numbers, my goodness. In previous years, we normally catch up by the end of Leviticus, but this year we're gonna extend it out a little bit more. So that means for us who are in the diaspora, we have so many weeks ahead of us of basically double portions. Uh, so I don't know if anyone is planning to uh, read two Torah portions every week, but if you show, so choose, then you know may there be a brock up on you. And it's just like one of those things where, you know, you can just receive as much as you want and, um, you know, you don't have to feel pressured to do that. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. So I want to mention this from um, Rabbi Shvile Pinkis, which is Rabbi Pinkis Friedman Shlita. Definitely learn a lot from him on a week to week basis. But he says this, may you all be blessed with all of Hashem's brakot. Since those of us who live in Eretz Yisrael and those of you who live in Chutz La'aretz, which literally means outside of the land, which is considered to be like lower in uh, spiritual stature compared to Yisrael, it says we'll be reading different Torah portions for the next few weeks. We need to accommodate our entire readership. On Tuesday, we will send the mimer, which is like the talk or the, the teaching, uh, for Parsha Akare, and then to all of our brothers who live abroad. Uh, so that is basically saying that earlier in the week, he'll send the, the diaspora reading out, and then later in the week, he'll send out the um, Yisrael portion. This year's Mimer for Parsha Kadoshim will be sent out Wednesday in Yitzhari Hashem, which means Bezrat Hashem. We will continue this procedure until the week of Matot Maseh, when the Torah readings will realign. So I just wanted to mention that because I know he's talking to everyone who subscribed to him, which by the way, if you're not subscribed to Shpilei Pinkus, Every week is just something completely like what uh, he goes through so many different levels of Torah study. One week is Midrash, one week is Halakha, one week is uh, the most spiritual, mystical ever thing that you will possibly ever study. But um, he just put it in a good way. Many of the rabbis who send out weekly posts will mention the same thing. So I just wanted to uh, tag team with Shvile Pinkus and let us know what's the dealio with our alignment of the Torah portions? Because if you have apps or if you use particular websites, that will depend on what information that they actually show to you for the Torah reading for the week. So that is, one, uh, that is something I wanted to announce. The other thing, I wanted to make the address publicly on our teaching video for the week of what was sent out in the message thread, just in case anyone didn't get a chance to uh, read or, or hear about it. Now, 
I shall read it to you. Shalom Mishpaka. As we proceed forward, we will officially observe the Diaspora Days and Diaspora Torah reading schedule. So this is basically a letter to our Mishpachai Magin Yishenu. So that's what, uh, that's what I'm reading, just to give clarity. Please note that we may or may not have a formal service for the Diaspora Days and that we will continue to offer optional observance of diaspora days for each individual family. This week and for Shabbat, we will continue in Parsha Akharimot. Formal services at shul and broadcasts for diaspora days will be determined by a confirmed minion. In the event we do not have a service we, we encourage everyone to continue as scheduled on their own. We ask or we will ask the men a week in advance for who would be able to meet for service. If we get at least nine confirmed, nine men confirmed, then we will proceed with service and broadcast. For many of us, Observance of the Diaspora Days is something that we have not been used to, and it can be challenging. Magin Yeshenu does promote observance of Diaspora Days with leniencies. If anyone isn't able to take the day off, which, by the way, would also extend to attend services, whether in person or online, then we encourage everyone to do what they can to elevate the day. Prayerfully, this brings clarity as we continue forward. Shavua Tov. So I would like to shout out to our amazing Chazan, who uh, also was a part of the decision-making process as the Chazan and the Gabai are the, um, the protocol for how we do services. So um, he and I were able to meet and we also have extended leadership as well to take full counsel with, and um, that is what we have decided for our community. So to keep everything on a streamline and the flow and hopefully keep everyone informed, uh, there you have it. One of the things that we are so close to being uh, complete with is the 40 days of the Nishmat prayer. So I'm going to cue this up uh, as we... Let's see here. It's over here. There it is. We will be complete on the 28th. And when the 28th happens, that will also be Bezrat Hashem when the Musar class starts back up. So shouts out to the Musar class. If you are not aware of Magin Yeshenu's Musar class, please um, note, take note now. Uh, we have one. And that meets at Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And it's uh, via Zoom. So they send out the link on our chats as well. If you're not on our chats or if you would like to be able to get the link when it's sent out, please let me know and we can include you in the send out list. So uh, Musar class is wonderful. It works on character and all of the traits that we need to work on refining. So I would definitely encourage everyone because it's so it's one thing to to pray and to study and, and do things like that. But as I was talking to Shlomo Ben Hillel, 
may he live and be well. Uh, he was also bringing down the commentary from the source that, or I don't know which source, so we got to, I'll ask him again, where is that? But it says that the true Torah study is Musar. So when we talk about the mitzvah of studying Torah, that's really Musar. Like, that's the Torah we should be studying. So I was like, first of all, mind blown. But second of all, just so amazed that as it would be, Magi Yushenu's class that we have once a week, when it is the season of uh, the teaching for the Musar class, like, that's what we're studying. So we're focused on Musar and prayer and, and as much of the mitzvot as we can possibly do as we live out day to day, which I just thought was incredible. So anyway, this is me just encouraging everyone, please be in the Musar class or catch the replay. And um, may you just grow abundantly like a, a fruitful orchard. And uh, to that little note, uh, Rabbi Trugman Shlita sent out a beautiful announcement as well this week that prayerfully working on a follow-up to Orchard of Delights. And I forget what the title is. Let me see what the title is. He sent this out and I was just like, what? Um, he says, prayerfully, it will be called Fruits of the Orchard, the sequel to Orchard of Delights. We believe it will be as popular as Orchard of Delights has been and make a great contribution to Torah scholarship. So look out for Fruits of the Orchard. So uh, if you have the uh, Orchard of Delights uh, volume that takes you through the Torah portions, then you know how wonderful of a source that is. So I can only imagine what the sequel is going to be like. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the Nishmat prayer. Uh, what's whose name? Sorry, I'm just now looking at the chat and I, I saw it. Says, you were speaking of Pincus, Rabbi Pincus, I believe it was. Oh, yes, Rabbi Pincus Friedman. Friedman, okay. Pincus Friedman. So you could go to, um, let me see here. It's everything is in Hebrew, so... <laughs> Bilepenkis.com. So I will put it here in the chat. Okay. So if you go to this website, you can look up the Mimer, which is M-A-A-M-A-R. So Ma'amar is what it looks like, but Mimer is how you actually say it, if you're Ashkenazi. Um, and then you can look that up in English, and it's a weekly send out, and it's about six pages. Uh -huh. and Six pages is more than enough. <laughs> it's just kind yeah. of yeah. bro, just if you could do two pages and just calm down, that would be great. <laughs> but as it were, or as it is, we do need as much light and illumination as possible. So I get it. Can we invite people to this every Tuesday evening event? Or is it pretty much absolutely? Absolutely. Okay. This uh, this class is offered in hopes to uh, be an educational tool and uh, just kind of a general catch all for everything that we're uh, trying our best to take our time, but, you know, kind of move <laughs> towards uh, our growth and maturity, because, you know, as 
a lot of us found out at the beginning of Magi and Shenu, there was a lot that we were not aware of and uh, we're continuing to find out, which I think is in general anyway, like if we think we know everything, we don't, right? Right. But yeah, so that's why I, I sometimes have a hard time trying to figure out how to structure this class because it's just like, how and when are we gonna be able to get through all of this? <laughs> but yeah, so it's open to everyone and it's free format to just ask questions, throw things in the chat, you know, so. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. All right, excellent. Thanks for asking. All right, let's dive in the Nishmat. Get rid of the video panel, get rid of this panel. Boom. Baruch Hashem. Nishmat prayer can be found on page 401 of your weekday Siddur. And I just realized I did not say the blessing before to studying Torah, but we haven't really studied yet. The soul of every living being will bless your name, Adonai, our God. The spirit of all flesh will always glorify and exalt your remembrance, our King. From this world to the world to come, you are God. And other than you, we have no King, Redeemer, or Savior, Liberator, Rescuer, Sustainer, and Merciful One in every time of distress and anguish. We have no King but you, God of the first and of the last, God of all creatures, Master of all generations, who is extolled through a multitude of praises, who guides his world with kindness and his creatures with mercy. Adonai neither slumbers nor sleeps. He who rouses the sleepers and awakens the slumberers, who makes the mute speak and releases the bound, who supports the fallen and straightens the bent. To you alone we give thanks. If our mouth were as full of song as the sea and our tongue as full of joyous song as its multitude of waves and our lips as full of praise as the breath of the heavens and our eyes as brilliant as the sun and the moon and our hands as outspread as eagles of the sky and our feet as swift as deer. We still cannot thank you sufficiently out on our God and the God of our forefathers and bless your name for even one of the thousand, thousand, thousands of thousands and myriad, myriads of favors that you performed for our ancestors and for us. You redeemed us from Mitzrayim, Adonai our God, and liberated us from the house of bondage. In famine you nourished us, and in plenty you sustained us. From sword you saved us. From plague you let us escape, and from severe and enduring diseases you spared us. Until now, your mercy has helped us and your kindness has not forsaken us. Do not abandon us, Adonai, our God, forever. Therefore, the organs that you set within us and the spirit and soul that you breathe into our nostrils and the tongue that you placed in our mouth, all of them shall thank and bless, praise and glorify, exalt and revere, sanctify and declare the sovereignty of your name, our King. For every mouth shall offer thanks to you. Every tongue shall vow allegiance to you. Every knee shall bend to you. Every erect spine shall prostrate itself before you. All hearts shall fear you, and all innermost feelings and thoughts shall sing praises to your name. As it is written, all my bones shall say, Adonai, who is like you? 
You save the poor man from one stronger than he, the poor and destitute from one who would rob him. Who is like unto you? Who is equal to you? Who can be compared to you? O great, mighty, and awesome God, the supreme God, creator of heaven and earth. We shall laud, praise, and glorify you and bless your holy name. As it is said of David, bless Adonai, O my soul, and let all my innermost being bless his holy name. Mashiach now. Okay, so let's get into our blessing before studying Torah. Going to use the uh, Drosh Notes document. Sharing my screen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Yisrael. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Yisrael, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the nations and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. We want Mashiach now. Okay, so this is what we're in for the weeks of counting the Omer. And uh, there are so, so many sources and shouts out to everyone who's been um, sharing and posting those. The newest one is the Anaf Yosef or the, uh, no, what is it called? Anaf, where is it at? I think I took a picture of it. Anaf Eitz Yosef, I believe. Just going to double check to make sure that is correct because... It is such a great source. Took a picture of it. Where did it go? Yep. Enough eights. Oh, enough eights of votes. So uh, this is a beautiful source um, that brings a lot of things down. And I'm actually going to share a portion of it. Uh, and it's based off of the preface to Pirkei Avot. And um, Here's the here's the the opening to Pirkei Avot. It says this: Kol Yisrael yesh lahem chelak leolam haba shenemar veamek kul kulam zadikim leolam yirshu aretz netzer mataai maase yadai le hit paer, which means all Yisrael has a share in the Olam Haba, the world to come. As it is said, and your, and your people are all righteous. And the Hebrew said, Zadikim. All of Yisrael is considered to be a bunch of Zadikim. <laughs> or a bunch of Zadiks, as we should say. 
they shall inherit the land forever. They are the branch of my planting, my handiwork in which to take pride, Isaiah 60, 21. So what in the world? That is outrageous. Olam Haba, by the way, is synonymous with the idea of dying and going to heaven. So just to throw that out there, uh, hopefully you can see this. Let me see, hide the floating panel. Okay, how do I make this full screen? Oh yeah, do that, there we go. Okay, so this is the commentary from Anath Eights Avot. This, this sentence from the Mishnah, which is found in Sanhedrin 10.1, is used as a preface to the study of each chapter of Avot. The word all, which is coal, by the way, and, okay, yeah, I was just doing a quick gematria check. The word all comes to include righteous non-Jews. You ever wonder how Jews feel about people who are not Jewish? Well, according to what was handed down to Moshe at the mountain and passed down to our sages of blessed memory, it says this about the non-Jews, <laughs> that they are considered to be all of Israel. They're part of all of Israel, who also have a share in the world to come. So in other words, if you see people who are not Jewish doing amazing things, loving God and bringing light into the universe, even though they're not Torah observant, they have some sort of connection to God and all that, they're considered under this phrase, <laughs> all of Yisrael, which, by the way, have a portion in the world to come. So in uh, layman's terms, what about the people who are not Torah observant? Do they get to go to heaven when they die? There, there it is. So, um, and again, not, I, not any of us are uh, suited and possibly even able to be the judge, even though Shaul tells us that one day we'll even be judging angels, which should just give us a good balance that you know, if we're going to judge, make sure that we're judging with righteous judgment, like we would judge ourselves. Because when we judge someone, we could end up judging ourselves without even knowing it. So this is why our judgment should be careful. But also to point out that there's some kind of transformation that we undergo as we move into the Alam Haba that will be on such a status and a level that we can actually be called to judge angels. And that's just kind of blue screening to me. So I don't really know what to do with that information. But all of that to say, as far as when it comes to the righteous non-Jews, none of us can really say, well, this person's going to heaven. This person's not. This person doesn't have a lump about all of that. There's one person we know that does not. Whoa, turning the table over over here. The light was about to fall over. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> I guess I got a little too rowdy. Okay, but anyway, there's one person we know that does not have a portion in the Alam Haba, and that is Balaam, which there it is right there, Mr. Balaam. That is so sad that codified of a person who does not have a portion in the Alam Haba is Balaam. Wow, would not like to be 
written down in the Chronicles of Truth as, yeah, this person for sure does not have the Alam Haba. Because again, who are we to really judge and say so-and-so, you know, is in, so-and-so is out? None of us have that authority or that ability, but it is known. Belam, not so much. And we, we should know if we study the Torah portion of Balak, which happens in the book of Numbers, we'll see why Belam has no portion in the Alam Haba. So, but anyway, that's for a later parasha. Let's get stay on track with this avot. It says, this is evident from the end of this same Mishnah that lists those individuals who have lost their share in the Alam Haba. Among these is Belam, who was a non-Jew. Rambam, Hilkot Teshuva, a.k.a. Maimonides, is also known as Rambam. It says in Hilkot Teshuva 3.5, explains that had Belam been righteous, he would have had a portion in the Olam Abba, although he was not Jewish. So um, there used to be the saying, not Jewish, not a problem. So uh, when it comes to the thought of how do we look at non-Jews and, you know, their, their quote unquote fate, so to speak, even though that's a terrible word to use to describe what we're talking about. Um, if they're walking in righteousness, they want to be connected to Hashem. They have some kind of awareness of of God, and they, they want to add to creation as opposed to destroy it, tear it down. Um, they're considered to be one of the people who will have a portion in the world to come. Because again, the, uh, the whole understanding of heaven, at least in the Jewish thought, because there's been so many things done with the understanding of heaven, because one of the questions you have to ask is if you're living your life only for the sake of dying and going to heaven, what's next? You know, what, what keeps the cons consistency, the continuity of you and your relationship with Hashem? Because if you're just focused on a particular point, which is an infinite point, but it's just kind of like, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? You know, and in Jewish thought, it's way beyond that. Like, Heaven and Jewish thought is created on earth. It's actually revealed and, and unpacked and uh, the, the dimensions shift, so to speak, where creation gets renewed. Heaven is on earth, starting in, in Jerusalem and headed all the way out through across the world and out into the cosmos. Like all of this influx of eternal life and, and renewal and rebirth, rejuvenation, all of those fancy words, that is the concept, you know, in Judaism that we're just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling like to infinity and beyond, literally. Buzz Lightyear was on to something. <laughs> but anyway, it's just kind of crazy when you think about, you know, really what's ahead of us. But there's one main purpose through it all to walk in righteousness, to walk in life with Hashem. Like we're still going to be learning and studying even in the time to come, post-resurrection, you know, it, it's just kind of one of those things where there is no endpoint, and we're going to be growing, learning ourselves, you know, who we are, and, and really just blossoming and sprouting, Bezrat Hashem. So it says the next part, the Medrash, Yalkut Yeshiyahu 429, 
interprets the verse in Tehillim 132.9, let your priests be clothed with rectitude. Some translations say, let your priests be clothed in righteousness and let your righteous ones sing praises as referring to the righteous among the nations of the world, i.e. the non-Jews are considered to be priests. The righteous among the non-Jews, they have this, this passage in the Tehillim that literally is ascribed to them. They're likened to priests who are clothed, which you think about everything that's connected to the garments of the priests from Parshat to Zave. Like, think of dressing up a non-Jew, not literally in the priestly garments, but like figuratively, like as an allegory. This is the esteem that we should have for individuals who are, maybe they want to be Jewish, maybe they don't want to be Jewish, but either way, they love Hashem, they love Yisrael, they love, you know, the word of God and, and things like that. They're not trying to actively destroy, you know, Hashem or holiness. They're not working against, you know, the temple or anything like that. They're not twisting the word to destruction. But people who are like, wow, I just love sitting at the feet of Torah, you know, those kind of individuals. They are, this is how we should esteem them, like a priest who's clothed with rectitude. Wow. And it says, as referring to the righteous among the nations of the world, moreover, Tana Debe Eliyahu, which literally means the school of Elijah. And it says, chapter nine states, God says, I call upon heaven and earth as my witnesses that any person, whether a Jew or non-Jew, a woman or a man or a woman, even a slave or maidservant, the divine spirit will rest upon him or her according to his or her actions. Tanadeve Eliyahu chapter nine, God says, I call upon heaven and earth as my witnesses. Why is the heavens and why is the earth, why are these two known as witnesses? Because guess what? Men and women, we, we, we're birthed and we die. You know, one generation comes, that generation goes, another one comes, another one goes. But guess what's still here? The heavens and the earth. Is it any wonder why the Messiah says until the heavens and the earth pass away or unless the heavens and the earth pass away? You know, not a jot or a tittle will be removed from this Torah. So you got to think about the significance of Hashem saying, okay, so, you know, heavens and earth, let's evoke them again. Not only are we doing like what Moshe Rabbeinu did when he gave us Hazinu, but he's also saying this, that any person, whether Jew or non-Jew, man or woman, even a slave or maidservant, why is that important? What happened at the splitting of the sea? The slaves and the maidservants had greater prophecies and visions of Hashem than Ezekiel did in Ezekiel chapter 1. If you've read Ezekiel chapter 1 uh, and you haven't blue screened, you know, golden star to you, but um, even Ezekiel himself had trouble describing what he was looking at. He was like, uh, something like 
I don't know. Well, okay, so that's Ezekiel, who is a Cohen, by the way. So, like, he is, like, the priestly garments, and he can go into the Holy of Holies. He's, like, he's fitted for that task. But his level of revelation and seeing Hashem was lower than even a slave or a maidservant at the splitting of the sea. And if that isn't an overload of information, I don't know what is, because, I mean, my goodness, what are we saying right now? The divine spirit will rest upon him or her according to his or her actions. If you think about what this is saying, like the actions of an individual bring them closer or Hasve Shalom pushes them further away from Hashem actions do okay it's not talking about belief we we many a times we know our belief and our actions can be so mismatched but many times our actions really show what our beliefs are you know there's one thing to go well i believe if i walked out into the street i would get ran over by a car well i'm not going to walk out in the street <laughs> or i'm going to use the crosswalk because that's how you walk across the street but anyway, so it's just kind of one of these things where there's a non-Jew and, you know, they, they learn about Hashem, they learn about his ways, and they're like, man, what, what can I have? I'm, I'm in, you know, I'll, I'll go as far as I can go, you know, and, and this is also seen in Isaiah and the end time prophecies where he says that many will come to the mountain of God, they're going to stream like rivers to the mountain of God to hear about the ways of God, his Torah, his truth. So all of that. But the divine spirit, which is the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of Mashiach, will rest upon him or her according to his actions. So take a tab on that because we want to bring a little bit more clarity on this from the pen of Shaul. Ashliak, and it says, furthermore, the Gemara states Sanhedrin 59a, even a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, who studies the laws of the seven Noahide mitzvot is akin to the high priest. So even if a person doesn't want to really get into the Torah, the 613 mitzvot, if they just want to take the universal commandments, like not killing people and you know um there's other other like very very general mitzvot you know fearing hashem loving god not having idols all that kinds of things so even if they just want to take just a little piece and limit themselves which by the way the noahide laws are very limiting but they encapsulate a lot the seven include a subset of mitzvot to them so there's actually way more than seven but Either way, it's like a, it's an entry point, a starter point, if you will, into the 613, because all seven of the Noahide mitzvot are in the 613. So really, when we're talking about Gentiles observing the, the seven Noahide laws, we're actually just saying, well, here's a little piece of Torah, kind of like what happened in Acts 15. Here's a little piece of Torah to kind of get you going. Because many times people need that little introduction to kind of test the waters, if you will. There's a wooing that happens, really, that draws a person to a shim. Really, many of us are where we are 
Bezrat Hashem, <laughs> not because we've been forced, not because we've had some person scream at us and say, you will do this. You know, if you don't do this, you're going to be condemned forever. If that is you, uh, I pray Hashem does major healing in your life and in your heart, because that's not how Hashem rolls. Hashem is totally like the, the epitome of a gentleman. If you are willing and if you desire, if you so desire, the door is open. Both ways, by the way. If you want to bring destruction up upon your soul, you want to walk in darkness and condemnation, you are totally welcome to do that. Judaism teaches that the door is open whether a person wants to walk in righteousness or if they want to walk in sin. And you will be helped either way. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, that's in uh, Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 1, if you needed more information on that. It says, elsewhere, the Gemara states, Hulin 92a, there are righteous individuals among the nations of the world in whose merit the world exists. I repeat, Hulin 92a, which comes from the Talmud, there are righteous individuals among the nations of the world in whose merit the world exists, i.e. there are non-Jewish people that are upholding the world, just like we know that the Zadik, the righteous person, is known as the foundation of the world. So just want to drop that out there. And let's go over here to um, what Shaul says. There we go. Let's, let's go to Galatians. Let's read some Galatians today. Galatians 3.28. Let's hop on over to Garrett Galatia. Here's what it says in Galatia 3.28. It says, there is not Yehudi nor Yavani. There is neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There is not Evid ben, nor Ben Korin, which is there is neither slave nor free man. There is not Zakar, which is male, or Nekava, which is female. For you are all Echad and Mashiach Yeshua. So, based off of what we just read, as far as who Hashem says has a portion in the Alam Haba, there you go. So, in Mashiach, bringing us into all of Yisrael. So, here's one of the crazy things. That when we look at people being one in Mashiach, that is the epitome of what we just read in Pirkei Avot. Kol Yisrael, being in Mashiach, equals Kol Yisrael. How can I say that so certain? Because look at what we're talking about. This includes, let me read it verbatim again. <laughs> My screen is over uh, zoomed here. Here we go. Any person, number one, Jew or non-Jew, man or woman, 
which is male or female. I mean, we're Galatians 3.28 is right here in PFI vote. <laughs> it says, uh, even slave or maidservant, the divine presence will rest upon him or her according to his actions, his or her actions. And remember, the divine spirit known as Ruach Elohim, Ruach HaKodesh, that's synonymous with the spirit of Mashiach. So when we talk about being one in Mashiach, it's all connected to this Kol Yisrael point. Now, I want to read from the Art Scroll Masora series on this. If you have it, it's on page eight. It says this term or the term Yisrael refers to any individual who has not utterly divorced himself from Yisrael's lofty spiritual and ethical destiny. His portion in the Alam Haba will vary according to his merits, but as long as he remains part of Yisrael, he will never lose it entirely. This is from Rabbi Hirsch. So, one in Messiah, Kol Yisrael, Pirkei Avot, portion in the Alam Haba. And what are our actions? What is going on? Okay. So the next thing I want to go to is I want to read from Book of Our Heritage. I have the, the travel size, but they do have a bigger size. So don't panic if you're looking for it and you don't want the small print. Uh, what I'm going to read will also be found in Chapter 47 of Master Plan, which begins on page 204. So master plan is our um, basic uh, kind of intro and lead in to learning and studying halakha uh, for Maga Yishenu. So master plan is the go-to on that. Uh, you can branch out from there to um, Horeb, Shulchan Aruch, the Kitzer, uh, and then the Mishnah Torah from the Rambam. So there's in the tour, which we got to learn about over Pesach, Baha Turim, has a codified volume of halakha, which, my goodness, I thought he just had a humash. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I'm going to read from Book of Our Heritage because we're in Sfirat HaOmer. We're counting the Omer. And as we're in this process, we are doing so, so many things. There are so many Yom Tov, uh, Yom Tovim in this particular time. Let me pull up the calendar. I meant to do that earlier, so I'm going to do that now. One moment. Uh, my go-to is hepcal.com. So, uh, and there's many, many different websites you can go to. So I'm just going to put up major holidays, minor holidays, Rosh Chodesh, which by the way, Rosh Chodesh begins for the new month of ER, right after Shabbat. So we'll basically have a full weekend. We'll have like a three-day celebration. We'll have Shabbat, Rosh Hodesh day one, and Rosh Hodesh day two this week. It's going to be so awesome. May it be so awesome. Okay, so let's see. Modern holidays, days of the Omer. I'm just putting together the settings for the calendar. HebCal allows you to customize your calendar, which I love it. Okay, I'm going to go to the Diaspora schedule and ba-boom. All right, so 
Let me show you this right here. During Sfirah Ta'omer, it's absolutely outrageous what we have going on. <laughs> so we are currently in the month of April, which it corresponds this year to the month of Nisan. Okay, and we're right about here. So last night, we counted 10 days of the Omer. That's how you actually keep track. If anyone goes, what day of the Omer are we on? You let them know by telling them what Omer we counted last night. Uh, so as you can see, this is where we are. So tonight, we'll be counting whatever is next. So we have Yom HaShoah first up. Okay, this is the, uh, I don't, hopefully this is still showing on the screen. If my screen doesn't show what I'm reading, please let me know, because I don't know how the screen share works as I'm changing pages. But Yom HaShoah is Holocaust uh, Memorial Day. So that is already beginning um, tomorrow night as of this broadcast. So it's called Yom HaZikaron. La Shoah ve la Gevura, which is interesting because we're in the week of Gevura on the Omer count. So that there is no coincidence that that's connected to this particular uh, day. So Yom HaShoah, that's up here. That's happening. Okay. Next up, we have Yom HaZikaron, which is the Israeli Memorial Day. So this right here is another particular uh, day of memorial, and this precedes the following day of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, which is Israeli Independence Day. This would note when we officially became the state of Israel, so the Declaration of Independence, 1948. A beautiful year. So if you live in America, this would have been like July 4th, 1776. So we have our Independence Day there. So we're already three Yom Tovim in. Then we have Pesach Shani. Oh, I, I cannot forget Rosh Hodesh, my bad. Rosh Hodesh, we're going to have two of them. So we have that going on. Then we have Pesach Shani which by the way, it's not a mandatory thing to observe Pesach Shani, but if you did not, uh, if you feel like anyway, you didn't have a great Pesach and you feel like, man, I got to redo this. I need, I need more. You know, I just kind of felt so overrun with things and my focus was off or whatever. Anything that may have happened that you just kind of feel like, man, I wish I can get it back. There you go. Here's your makeup day. You can do in one day what took the rest of us, eight days to do if you're in the diaspora, seven days if you live in Eretz Israel. So there's your one-stop shop right there. Then we have Lag Ba'omer. Note that Lag Ba'omer is the 33rd day of the Omer. Lag is the Hebrew word right there for 33. So Lamed is 30. Gimel is um, 3. So 33. So then when you look here, um, you can see that the 33rd day of the Omer is a big, big celebration. 
and so many things connected to that. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is that right now, basically, we're in a mini version of the three weeks of mourning, depending on what custom you want to practice or you practice. Um, many of us who don't know a lot of the customs that exist, you know, we're, we're discovering them. Some of us have been uh, knowing of them. We've already had knowledge of them, so we do them uh, and, and things like that. So if you didn't know, basically, when we start counting the Omer from the first night of the Omer, we begin what's known as the uh, th a three-week period of mourning where we don't listen to music and cut our hair, have weddings. But... <laughs> All of that, I'm going to say all of that, right? Because that's like the general uh, way that it's put. But when you start reading about how it's actually done, people actually do cut their hair and get married, even though we don't do that. And so it's just kind of like, wait, what? So is it this way? Is it that way? Well, it depends on what tradition you go with. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second, but just wanted to give you a heads up. So we have like a morning time, a happy time, you know, so we're really riding the spectrum uh, of joy and also um, heartache and things like that. We also have Yom Yerushalayim. It says Jerusalem Day, an Israeli national holiday commemorating the reunification of Jerusalem and the establishment of Israeli control over the old city in 1967. One of the things that is so important, first of all, it looks like we have two Memorial Days and two Declaration of Independence Days. Uh, <laughs> I wanna mention Rabbi Malit Shlita, who brings down in one of his classes on Shir HaShirim, he says, you know, Hashem went around to all the nations was like, here, I wanna give you my Torah. And they're like, what's in it? How much does it cost? And Hashem was like, it's this mitzvah, it's that mitzvah. And they're like, no, we can't do that comes to Israel and says, here, I want to give you my Torah. Israel goes, what's in it? How much does it, or no, we didn't even say what's in it. We said, how much does it cost? He said, it's free. And we said, we'll take two. <laughs> so we just like to double up on things in, in Judaism, which I just find so amazing. I mean, double Rosh Hodesh. Anyway, just a little, um, a little smile there to the twos. But this is crazy that in 1967, we gained control over the old city. Now, I'm going to do a quick math thing here because we got 1967. Okay, so that's between 1948 and 1967. There are 19 years. When we originally crossed the borders into Eretz Israel and began battling against the kings, which there were 31 of them, by the way, in the land to conquer the land after us leaving Egypt, experiencing 40 years in the desert, and then finally under Yehoshua being led into the promised land, we had to fight for the land to conquer it. Well, isn't it interesting that since 1948, there's been a level of fighting for the land and Bezrat Hashem conquering the land. So it's like we're kind of picking up where we left off under the leadership of Yehoshua as we left Mitzrayim. So we're kind of in a uh, interesting like reenactment on a certain level 
or in, in one aspect anyway, of recapturing the land. And the whole thing about the prophecy of Yisrael in the Olam Haba is that Yisrael will spread out and encompass the whole entire world. And one of the crazy things about the reality of this is that more and more portions of the land, hopefully, we're becoming more under Israeli control or the control of Yisrael. And the hope is that it's established in righteousness and truth, right? Because it needs to be Torah-based. Doesn't need to be like social political and all that kind of stuff. That should be encapsulated under the uh, the commandments, you know, fear of Hashem, love of our neighbor, and things like that, right? So, Yisrael expanding, you know, it, it, in a way, we're kind of looking at a little bit of that. That you know, since 1948, how much of the land have we actually uh, populated, and we've uh, began to grow it and cultivate it? Which previous to that. It's been centuries of fallow, barren land. Like, what in the world is this, this place over here? And then all of a sudden, you know, within the last century, it's just blossomed, which is another messianic prophecy of the arrival of the Mashiach. When we start seeing Israel blossom and be repopulated, the imminent arrival of the Mashiach is, is like at hand, like the kingdom is at hand. And this is brought down in particular by Rabbi Pavanov Shlita from the Garments of Light, Volume 1, on his commentary to Tuba Shavat, which is the celebration of the, the trees. So where we plant trees and uh, have like a, a nice fruit seder and things like that. So there's a lot of beautiful um, talk because Tuba Shavat happens 45 days before Pesach. And Pesach is the, the night of watching where, you know, we were redeemed in the beginning and Bezrat Hashem in the end, we will also be redeemed. So all of that. And the birth of Yisrael is uh, during Pesach. So just the whole thing about we plant a tree, the birth of Israel, you know, the, the blossoming of the land, the return of the Mashiach, all these things are just all connected here. So anyway, Yom Yerushalayim, and then Rosh Hodesh Sivan, and then we get to Shavuot. So as you can see, as we're counting the Omer, it's just one thing after another. So uh, I would just encourage everyone to kind of get your calendars together, because we just got a lot going on coming up. So anyway, it took us 14 years, by the way, uh, the original time to conquer the land. And so I was just looking at the correlation between 1948 and then when we originally conquered the land, you know. So, all right, Book of Our Heritage. Here's what it brings down. This is on the month of Nisan, and it brings this down in a section called Sorrow and Mourning during the period of the Omer. Says in his prophecy of admonishment to Yisrael, Yermiyahu says, they did not say in their hearts, let us fear Hashem, our God, who gives the early rain and the late rain in its proper time, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of harvest. Your sins have turned these away, and your iniquity has withheld good from you. 
This is from Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 24 through 25. That is so significant to why in the world during these first 33 days of counting Neomer, why is there a many morning time for those who observe this? Because when you look at some of the tragic events that have occurred to us during this time, there were students of Rabbi Akiba who, um, who perished and things like that. And um, it's just like, that's one thing. Crusades, I mean, even though it extended way beyond this period uh, and things like that, but especially during this time, it really just hit hard that there's a lot of tragic things to happen. Well, here's the thing, because in our hearts, we did not fear Hashem. And also, it was our sins that began to create this pattern of destruction. So this whole time, as we are coming out of Pesach, which is like a, even though it was a rough time, you know, to get there, because it was exhausting and I had many things to do, there was still joy in it. But yeah, I mean, it's hard work getting ready for Pesach, no joke. But then we, we get all the excitement, the joy, we go through the Yom Suf and all of that. And then it's like, welcome to counting the Omer. And it's like, whoa, you know, it's kind of like a pullback for a second. Well, the thing is, it says, the one who gives the rain, the early rain and the late rain also has the power to withhold it. At least in our region, we've had like a drought. And we then... Over this past weekend, we had a gully washer. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, wait, whoa. You know, I started getting notifications on my phone, like the river's flooding. Warning. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we went from like zero to like nothing, like to everything. So anyway, but as far as like understanding this time frame that we're in, there is a lot of judgment going on. Um, I'll get to that in just a second. So just finish this, this sentence here. Should we not therefore fear him and refrain from angering him? During this seven-week period of harvest, because as you may note, the 16th of Nisan, when we bring the Omer, when we first start counting the Omer, we bring the first thing that sprouts out of the new harvest, which is known as a barley offering. We bring that into the Bet HaMikdash and we offer that. 50 days later, we bring full-blown wheat, and that is the, the leavened offering that we offer actually in the temple on the altar of the two loaves of wheat. So during the seven weeks, we're going from barley to wheat, and barley is considered animal food. Wheat is considered the food of man. So the spiritual implication behind that is we go from more of an animalistic existence to a Bezrat Hashem, more of a human being and sophisticated existence, where we rise beyond the limitations of our carnal emotions uh, and things like that. And this is represented by the seven weeks of counting the Omer. It's a developmental period that corresponds to agricultural harvest judgment. So when we used to not be so city-oriented, and we lived off of the land, you know, everything was about the seasons, the times, Hashem, if you don't cause it to rain, then we're not going to have food, because that's how they live in Israel, you know, like, there's no irrigation systems, you can't just go out and be like, all right, 
My field is irrigated. So whether it rains or not, we're good. Hashem is like, no, it doesn't work like that. Rain depends upon your actions. We read this in the Shema twice a day, right? So when you look at this, it's like so incredible to see how everything is interconnected. When we talk about living out our faith, a person who owns land in Yisrael, my goodness, if you want to see a person who believes in Hashem, the person who owns land in Yisrael and they work it, they live off of it, they follow the mitzvot connected to the land, namely bringing the tithe, bringing the first fruit, observing the Shemitah year, observing the Jubilee year. My goodness, that is, that's big faith. <laughs> but anyway, during this time, when we used to have more of that in our focus, we understood that this period was a judgment time of how much produce we were actually going to get out of the land. Even the Midrash says, brings this down, I believe in Midrash says uh, Exodus, which is um, Shmot, it brings down about the significance of the Omer, that if there wasn't the Omer offering brought in the temple, then there would be no food for the rest of the year, for the whole year. This is loosely connected to what Shaul Hashliach brings down in Corinthians about if there's no first fruit of the resurrection, then there's no resurrection anyway. You know, if Mashiach wasn't raised, no one will be raised kind of thing. So a spiritual analogy connected to the Omer, basically. So when you look at, you know, if there was any time you ever wanted to get your act together with Hashem, it's like, my goodness, I, I would love to eat, please. You know, if you ever needed a motivation, sometimes it takes food to motivate us. I don't know why. It's just what we do sometimes. But anyway, it says this is a judgment period. Man's future sustenance is on the line. Now, we may think we got grocery stores, you know, we can go to co-ops and things like that. Well, guess what? Those things can be shut down, too. It doesn't take but just a, a quick glance into history or in some of the store shelves, possibly even today, some of the shelves are empty. Prices are going up. There was a shortage of food and, and toilet paper a couple of years ago. Like these things can happen. So th though we're removed per se from the land and, and things like that and being able to see like, you know, actual produce coming from the earth, the other part of this is what about the spiritual implications behind it? You know, the, the fruits of righteousness that we so long for in our life of, you know, trusting Hashem, needing miracles, needing Hashem to come through on blessings and answered prayers in our lives. That's connected to this. So when we look at these weeks of counting the Omer, if we're not saying, oh, heart of mine, be broken, serve Hashem, fear Hashem, love Hashem, be grateful, love your neighbor as you love yourself, try to look at people by their virtues, like begin to change who you are, change how you treat other people. You know, if we're not doing that, we're missing the point. So it goes on to say, will he be blessed with plenty or cursed by famine? If he is meritorious, then the treasures of life, blessing, and bounty are open for him. Adas, may she live and be well, was, was calling out, you know, some of these beautiful things that are on the horizon, Bezrat Hashem, for our Mishpachah. 
And I really pray that that's so, you know, we, we have that ability to call that out and ask Hashem, please answer that favorably. Because here's the thing, if we're meritorious, <clears throat> then the treasures of life, blessing, and bounty are open for us. It says, but if he, shalom, which is God forbid, lacks merit, then he should indeed be fearful and concerned that divine wrath might be expressed during this period. Plagues, um, massacres, and things like that that have happened. This is connected to the observance of Lag by Omer because there was a great massacre of many Torah students that have happened in the past. So this, is, this could be potentially a rough time. But the thing is, we want to try to do our best to bring merit to this time. And many of these customs of morning observances, just like when we do the three weeks, they're meant to enhance the focus and the awareness of what to do with these times, not get caught up in the minutia of how to do it, but how we want to fix and repair. So it goes on to say, we therefore count the days of the Omer, the period of harvest, so that we might ascertain how many of the days have passed without bringing travail in their wake. So if you think about what that just said, it's like, okay, we counted another day of the Omer. Thank you, Hashem. There hasn't been any tragedies. Baruch Hashem. You know, it's like counting your steps away from tragedy. Wow. It says one should pray that these days continue to be free of trouble, that the harvest of wheat be completed, and that we be blessed with bounty and sustenance for the entire year. The Torah makes no reference to the mitzvah of rejoicing as regards Pesach, for on Pesach, judgment is rendered regarding the success of our produce. Yakut Shmoni, Parsha, and more. Now, we call Sukkot the festival of our rejoicing. We call Pesach the festival of our freedom. Never, ever have we heard Pesach being the festival of our rejoicing. Unless it's being connected to Sukkot, which it really kind of is. But Pesach is more of like, this is a judgment time. We're standing before Hashem. You know that fear we get during the 10 days and even the month uh, that precedes it during the days of awe, basically the month of Elul, all the way up to Yom Kippur, the 40 days of Teshuvah, a, a lots of time where we just kind of focus on, okay, where are we at? You know, let's get it together. You know, all those kinds of things. Pesach is that, which I can't help but wonder a lot of our, our stress and our exhaustion from our preparation and trying to make sure that we have everything in line and, and get to the setter table, you know, and then like the whole week of eating matzah and staying away from comments. This was a judgment time for us. And now that we're into the Omer, it's like fine tuning even more because that was our judgment before Hashem. Now it's our judgment with our fellow man. Because Torah works in two ways, that what's between us and Hashem, and then what's between us and our fellow man. 
And we have to look at both simultaneously as much as possible because there are so many times where we get so meticulous with how we're doing with the shim that we forget, oh, what about the person next to you? What does Yochanan Hashliach say? He says, how can you love the God you have not seen if you hate your brother who you can see? And the, the Omer period of time, like it's saying, hey, wake up. <laughs> You're up here talking to the invisible God, but you're hating your visible brother. What are you doing? And the first 33 days of the Omer, according to certain customs, are like, yeah, what are you doing? The only reason these times have been horrible and tragic is because how have we treated each other? Okay, people hurt us. People offend us. Okay, sometimes it's in our control, sometimes it's not. What are we going to do with that? You know, and it's just like, we have to rise up. We have to rise above past hurts, past traumas, present hurts, present traumas, and grab a hold of Hashem and then try our best to do whatever we can to, maybe you can't fix the relationship, but my goodness, Hashem, help my heart to be more loving to my neighbor because I have to work on loving my neighbor, even though I may not be, you know, on the same page as them. We may think differently. They may be whatever, you know, whether we like or dislike about them. We're still called to treat that person with dignity, honor, and respect. And that's heavy. So with all that being said, Continuing, it says, seven complete weeks there shall be. Leviticus 23, 16. When are they complete, i.e., without fault? So here's the thing. We read for a complete weeks, like a, a, a seven complete weeks we shall count. But it's like, no, seven weeks without fault. Like, giving it a little bit of a spin to, to, to look what's behind it. That where have we failed? Where are we currently failing? And what are we doing with that information? And, you know, there are so many things that people talk about motivational speeches and things like that with failures and mistakes and all that kind of stuff. Well, many people who have risen to greatness and have left tremendous legacies for the good in this world have failed a lot. You know, they didn't do so well in the beginning. They went through a lot of trial and error, but in the end became victorious. Well, when we finally realize, okay, my gosh, I messed up horribly right here. What are you going to do with it? As we learn with Teshuvah, that when you mess up, it's like, okay, stop, acknowledge it. Let's figure out what to do to rectify. Let's take steps to not cause this to happen again. Let's become a new person. Let's turn the corner. These seven weeks of the Omer is all about that. One way it's put, take off the old and put on the new. So if you've heard that phraseology from Shaul's letters, that's what this time frame is all about. Becoming new and new and new. And it's like using your past mistakes and your failures as launching boards into future success. And so prayerfully, that is happening and going on with us. And if it's not, it's not too late to, to scream out to Hashem about that. So it goes on to say, 
when Yisrael fulfills the will of God. And this is from Vayikra Rabbah 28. So how do we make these weeks complete, i.e. without fault? We do so by fulfilling the will of God. When you can look at yourself as becoming the seat of Hashem's will in creation, that is the goal. To, to rise up from yourself and say, Hashem, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, which is me. We're made of earth, dust and water, dust and ashes. And we pray this after the Shemona Esrei every day. May my soul be like dust to all. May I run after and pursue your commandments and may they run after me. So that way that what becomes my existence, my existence becomes Radzon Hashem, the will of Hashem, running and chasing after Hashem. Now, uh, I've one of the, the new Rebbe's that um, I have began to check out his videos on uh, YouTube is Rabbi Tuvia Bolton. May he live and be well. And he said this in uh, one of the videos I found today. Without Moses, we couldn't have gone across. And he's speaking about the, the Yansuf. This is crazy. So I posted this on my Facebook page because he brought this midrash down that said, we didn't even go across the Yamsuf when it split. We actually just made a big U-turn and came out further down the bank from which we entered into the water to what I'm like, wait a minute, what? What do you mean we didn't go across? And the implications of that is just outrageous. But anyway, he got to the point of saying this, Without Moses, we couldn't have gone across. And the same thing without Mashiach. We won't be able to go across our own selfishness and see the godliness in everything and how much God loves each and every human being. So in other words, we need to become the sea that splits. And remember, the sea split in 12 channels because it allowed the, each of the tribes to go through, which I can't help but wonder where did the tribe of Levi go through since they're the 13th tribe, technically. But anyway, um, this is crazy because being able to go across our own selfishness and see the godliness in everything and how much God loves each and every human being, that's major. I was just like, when he said that, I was like, bro, like, calm down <laughs> or not, because we're counting the Elmer. This is not a calm time. There's a phrase that says, I got no chill. <laughs> That's the time. This is the time to have zero chill. This is not the time to relax and kick back and go, all right, Shem, I'm on the beach. No, we're <laughs> like fear and trepidation, 100%. But anyway, going on, it says, because this is a period of judgment that lasts for 50 days. In the month of Tishrei, we have 10 days of judgment. During the counting of the Omer, it's 50. So it's like times five. It is super intense what we're dealing with right now. So one of the things we do when we count the Omer is we stand. It is a mitzvah to stand and count the Omer. 
Well, wouldn't you know it? Because we're also standing in judgment as we're doing so. You ever wonder why so many supplication prayers are in the Omer count? Like we're asking, oh, Hashem, please build a temple. Like cover me up with things that will hide my sin from you, Hashem, and cause righteousness and life to sprout forth from me. You know, put away my, my deeds of uh, error and failure. Because that's what the temple does. It clothes us in righteousness. It changes who we are. The whole thing about making Aliyah to go to the temple is to become renewed with divine inspiration and to become a completely different person. You should not leave the temple. By the way, according to what goes on in the temple, which is also in Pirkei Avot, there's not a way to really leave the temple the way you went into it. The only way you can do that, which I, as I say that, I, I literally just read about this earlier today, that there are people who can enter into the temple and not have any awareness of God. They won't see any miracles. They won't see any godliness. And then they'll leave probably even worse than when they showed up. And this was actually from uh, Rabbi Shlomo Majeski. May he live and be well. The only reason I started looking for him is because, my goodness, what we read in the uh, drosh this past Shabbat, that uh, Ben Burton, may he live and be well, brought down in his newest commentary on Parsha Baera about the Exodus. He quoted so many different sources, and there was a source from Rabbi Shlomo and I was just like, who is this guy? Is he still alive? And what's he doing? And sure enough, he has plenty of lectures and plenty of sources out there. So I was like, I'm going to go find him. So in finding that, there is a beautiful thing about the Zadik and his students. And it, it really echoes a lot of what Yeshua talks about. And the whole thing is basically tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. It says that the Zadik is likened to the Bet HaMikdash. And I was like, my gosh, what in the world? So anyway, all these crazy things. And I'm like, man, so the temple has the ability to literally change you. But if you don't want to be changed, it won't. And so that's one of our brachas, Hashem, build a temple. To which as soon as I say that, I'm like, Mashiach now, you know, like screaming out. And then we have our psalm that we're praying, you know, all mankind being blessed by Hashem, Hashem causing all the world to serve him in truth and all of that. Then we're praying the Anabe Koach, untie the bundled sins, because there are some sins we need to get rid of and deal with, you know? And then all of the spiritual impurities that we need extracted from us and we need to be removed from, look at the prayers of the Omer. Like, wow, as we're standing in judgment, we're asking for like mercy overload. It's incredible. And in that same vein, we're also saying, Hashem, I don't want to be who I was when I first stood up to count tonight's Omer. I want to be a different person every single time I enter into a new count. So, I mean, I'm just kind of like mind blown by this information of, you know, what we're in and why there are so many different customs going on, so many different holidays during this time. We need it. It says that uh, 50 days of judgment, the trepidation accompanying these days is great, for we are anxious that they should pass successfully without incident or tragedy. It is especially important 
that we behave properly towards each other. Cannot stress that enough. Hashem really would rather us treat each other kind than us really be kind with him. I don't know if many of us know this, but when you look at the, the truth behind that statement, all we need to do is go back to a place called Bavel, aka where the Tower of Bavel was built, the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11. When that happened, the sin of mankind as a collective was probably on the same level, if not greater, than the sin of mankind during the flood of Noah. But Hashem was like, at least this time, they're being nice to each other. They're literally working for a common purpose. They care more about their bricks than they care about their fellow man, but at least they're all like, hey, let's, let's you know, speak the same language. Let's do the same thing, you know? It's not perfect, but at least they're not trying to rob each other and do all this obscene things like they did during the days of Noah. So I'm not gonna wipe them out with the flood. I will disperse them. I will confuse their language so that they cannot communicate with each other. So since that point, all the way up until Mount Sinai, that was a rectification, if you will, of the dispersion of the languages. Now, I really want to shout out my coworker, Shaul. May he live and be well, because he was bringing this down. Like, it sounds like you're talking about the reverse of the tower. Because I was explaining to him Shavuot and the significance of the mountain being uprooted and put in the air. And it was like a hoopah over us. Hashem was speaking in all the 70 languages. Everyone was coming alive and falling uh, asleep, you know, with every word that was uttered from the mouth of Hashem. You know, he kept resurrecting us. And I was telling him like, yeah, all the languages. So everybody was able to hear and it all became back to one place. And this is echoed, pun intended, in uh, Acts chapter 2. All the languages being spoken, everyone from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, coming to Yerushalayim and hearing. The crazy part about Yerushalayim is the mountain that the temple is built on, a piece of that mountain was put on top of the mountain at Sinai, and that double mountain is where the Torah was given from. So the Midrash teaches that after the Akedah, which would mean that the results of what happened with the binding of Isaac was permanently etched onto that mountain, a piece of that tore itself off to go to Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. So for the giving of the Torah, we have the, the Akedah, like etched into the whole fact of Hashem speaking forth and giving to us the Torah, undoing the sin of Adam. We literally became immortal. We were no longer gonna die. The clothes that we used to wear in the Garden of Eden, which was all light, was restored to us at the mountain. It was a very, very powerful time. And that's one of the, one of the many aspects that were repaired was the Tower of Babel, because it was replaced with the Tower of Salvation. The Migdol Yeshuot Malko, as we say in the Birkat Hamazon. Migdol Yeshuot Malko, Veyosech Chesed Nimshiko, Nedaviru Lezaro, get you some. Turn up. Okay, so like that, that was the giving of the Torah. That's Shavuot. 
that's the big celebration that we have ahead of us. So Hashem made it so that it's just kind of like, if, you, if, if man is going to treat each other kind, I will lessen the severity of my judgment upon them. Now, there is another source called the Mabit, which brings down that when the two tablets came down, the tablets were equal in size. There were the, all the, the commandments were put on both tablets, but the letters of the second tablet, which corresponds to the left side. So there was a right tablet and a left tablet. Shavile Pinkis, of course, is the one who brought this information to my attention. So shouts out to him for that. Don't know if we'll get time to go into it, but I was planning to share that tonight. We'll see. But anyway, the right tablet was the commandments between us and Hashem. The left tablet was between mankind and each other. So between us and our fellow man. That was the left tablet, which corresponds to the two goats of Yom Kippur. This is an Akare Mot, because this week is Parsha Akare Mot. This is an Akare Mot insight. The two sapphire tablets corresponded to the two Yom Kippur goats. There was one goat that was for Hashem. There was another goat for Azazel. The goat on the right was the one that was for Hashem. The goat on the left was the one for Azazel. The one on the right took care of sins between, or took care of rectifying and bringing atonement of sins between us and Hashem. The one on the left was for us to go, hey, let's deal with, you know, making repair and atonement between us and our fellow man. Because as the Talmud brings down in Tractate Yoma, that Hashem is totally on the atonement between us and him. But when it comes to us and our fellow man, He's left that to us. Hashem doesn't make atonement for what we do to someone else. We have to. Which is why the Mashiach says, what? If you have something against your brother, you better put your, you better put your offering down, get out of the temple, go find your brother and deal with it. Where do we put the Azazel? Put that thing down outside of the temple. Like, get it out of here. You go deal with it. So... Anyway, that is what we just read here, that during this time, we really want to do our best to not transgress by showing disdain for our fellow man. We want to behave properly towards each other. So this is probably harder than the mitzvah between us and Hashem is how we treat our neighbor. Anyway, the Mabit, I forgot, I don't know if I finished it, but just to circle back around to that. The Mabit says that on the second tablet, the left-hand tablet, the one that corresponds between the commandments, the corresponds to the commandments between us and our fellow man, the letters on those tablets were much bigger than the letters on the tablets that talked about the commandments between us and Hashem. As if to say, hey, over here on the left side, hey, this is super important. You know, like when you write a letter to someone and you want to like really get their eyes to look over here, you underline it, you highlight it, circle it, make the letters big, all caps. That's what Hashem did with the commandments that are between man and a fellow man. So no wonder that during this seven week period leading up to the time that we were originally given the tablets, Hashem was like, how well are you treating your fellow man? That's working in tandem with my judgment 
for your produce for the year, your sustenance, your nourishment. Because man does not live by bread alone, but off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. So it's not just physical nourishment we're in judgment for right now, if you think about it. And Yeshua sits at the right hand of Hashem. Amazing. Get you some. Love these connections, man. It's just so awesome to have eyes to see. I'm going to flip a page. And it says this. Torah Zahav specifically mentions the events connected to the first crusade. Now, if you don't know what the crusades are, spoiler alert is that it was basically people who are a part of uh, the Rome-generated faith known as Christianity, and they went out and slaughtered people that were against their agenda. Who was included in that? Jewish people. So, uh, yeah, Crusades, not a nice time. But there's more. That's just one of the many things and probably uh, one of the really tragic things. It's nothing worse than a people saying, we're the true people of God and we need to take over the world. And one of the first orders of business, conquer Jerusalem, take it away from the Jews and wipe out the Jews. Uh, classically, not cool. So, uh, yeah, anyway. So the Crusades here, it says that was this is being uh, commented on, like during the Omer period, what was going on with one of the Crusades. Notice it says first crusade, as if one wasn't enough. Again, horrible, tragic. It goes on to say that as a reason for observing the Omer period <clears throat> as a time of mourning, he writes, this is the Torah Zahav. We observe some of the laws of mourning because of the edicts of 4,000 or 4856, the year 4856, which corresponded to the year of 1096 CE, which took place in Germany. Dude, seriously, Germany, uh, first and second war, what happened in Germany? But millennia before that in Germany, first crusade, seriously? Okay, we which took place in Germany between Pesach and Shavuot. It says, as outlined in Yotzrot and Piyutim, which are the liturgical additions to the prayer service, recited each Shabbat during this period. So if you have a special Siddur, they would have Piyutim and um, Yotzrot, which are typically put in gray boxes, like what we had in our Makzorim, our Makzor. We had what's called the Yotzrot, which when we read the gray boxes during Pesach, we read a lot about what was going on to do during the Exodus and on Shavii Shel Pesach, Acharon Shel Pesach, the seventh day of Pesach, we read about uh, what was happening at the splitting of the sea. Those are known as Yotzrot and Piyutim. So special during this time, depending on what Siddur you have, they have things in there that correspond to some of the tragedies that have happened during this time. So when we look at the customs of mourning during this first part of the Omer count, 
And there's different uh, periods of mourning that are included in this as well. Again, depending on tradition, it's all connected to a lot of past tragic events. And prayerfully, we don't have present tragic events. There was a, a point in time a few years ago where rockets were being fired uh, in Israel among the Jewish populated areas that was going on. And it was during the Omer count, during the three weeks of mourning, like during this part of the year, basically. So, I mean, all these kind of stuff, we need to be actively working to mitigate. And our actions, our prayers, and our thoughts are huge in that. So the other thing it brings down, in general, we refrain from public expressions of joy. For as we have seen, the Omer is observed as a period of mourning for the 24,000 disciples, 24,000 people of Rabbi Akiva, who died between Pesach and Shavuot. Now, what also happened to us as Yisrael during Pes between Pesach and Shavuot? Amalek, the attack of the Amalekites. When they came, they were just like, we don't care, we'll wipe you out. I don't care if Hashem splits seas for you. I don't care if he makes mountains rise. You're covered by clouds of glory with a rock rolling after you. I don't care. We'll take you down. Oh, my gosh. What kind of chutzpah is that? <laughs> That's the kind of enemies we're facing. And a lot of those enemies are actively at work in our hearts and in our mind. And we have the potential, the ability, the capability, and the access to take them down. This is why I say turn up a lot, you know, because that's really what's called for. We need to turn up. We need to raise up the volume of Kedusha in our life, of how we treat other people, of how we view the world, how we view the coming of the Mashiach, the, the building of the Beit HaMikdash. We need to turn it up. We need to really like be able to see it. You know how when you're on your phone, you're on an app and you're like, I don't want to be in this app right now. I want to be in another app. What do you do? You hit the either the menu button or if you're on an iPhone, you do some fancy little movement to your screen. And then it brings everything in and you're like, OK, I want to go get out of here. I want to get that app out of here. And bam, the screen that once showed one app now with the click of a button or the swipe of a finger, it now shows something different in your completely different world. Guess what? That is an example, pun intended, a mirror because our phones are a mirror. Literally, they have mirror apps or you can just use your camera and turn it towards your face. It's a mirror. But anyway, that's a mirror of what we have the ability to do right now. Power and the individual doing that because we all live in a particular world. Like we go, hey, how's it going in your world? Right, we each live in our own world sometimes. But the thing is, there's a certain amount of influence that that one particular person has on the whole creation. Remember what we read from the Anaf Eights Avot on Pirkei Avot that says the world is upheld even because of the uh, merit of a righteous non-Jew. The world is sustained through a righteous non-Jew. Are you serious? Anyway, the power that one person has on creation is ridiculous. Imagine when we start multiplying that because more and more people are doing that. 
The more we begin to do with our existence, what we do with our phones and our tablets and our computers, the more that look out world, like you think we're seeing some beautiful miracles. You think we're starting to see uh, glimpses of the redemption because we're in it. If you mapped out the the uh, trajectory or the uh, the statistics of the aliyot that have been made to Yisrael, if you literally put arrows on the map of where people have come from to finally make aliyah to Yisrael, it looks like this giant vortex of an end gathering happening, which is a part of the final redemption that there will be a mass end gathering of Jews from all across the globe underneath the heavens. We're in that right now. And you only need to go back to 1948. It, you can go back before then, but at least go back that far and map that out into where we are now and look at how Yisrael has expanded and also look at how the population has come from across the world, all underneath the heavens. Again, the land went from like barren wasteland to like fruitful oasis. That is the kind of stuff that happened when we were 40 years in the wilderness. Everywhere we traveled, it looked like desert until the clouds of glory and Yisrael hit it. And then it was like, whoa, an oasis, springs, palm trees, ridiculous. Like, I thought this was the desert. Well, it was. Emphasis was. <laughs> so that's the ability we have now. And for me, being technology Shomer man over here, every time these little things happen, I'm just like, oh, Hashem is teaching us something. Just like the movies, the movies are teaching us everything we need to know. Now, obviously, they're kind of twisted a little bit, but all the thing with the heroes and the, the things that we have now discovered, you know, all of that, those are, are faint little reflections of true reality, sometimes very emphatic reality without even being fiction. And we're like, oh, that's just movies. That's just TV. That can't be real. Well, a lot about TV is not real, but a lot about TV is real. <laughs> and then you got all the fact of the things that we do, you know, with our devices. So Shem is like, yeah, you don't need your phone to do that. Which I need to do my research on this because Shomo and I were having a conversation about it. And he was mentioning he thought he saw the word for telephone in Hebrew, and it looked a lot like the word tefillin. And where I'm from, back in Edom, we had a song called Call Him Up, Call Him Up, Tell Him What You Want. You know who is on the main line, Tell Him What You Want. You know, and it's just like, wow. So when we put on our tefillin, it's like we're strapped up with our heavenly cell phone device directly to the ear of Hashem. Like, hey, need to talk to you. Uh, raise the antenna, you know, wrap some more bars <laughs> of signal around your arm. So now when you wrap the seven wraps around your arm for the tefillin, it's like, how many bars you got, son? You know, bars is not just rap songs anymore. It's about how much signal you have to reach Shemayin. But anyway, all these things, like you can quickly see how things that we just see in our everyday life is like, it's packed with godliness. Unpack it, decodify it. You know, and the Hebrew even teaches us this. You're looking at a Hebrew letter, but it's actually a picture. It's also a number. You read the Torah portion. You can read it as numbers. You can read it as pictures. You can read it as concepts. All of these things, like this is, this is real. This is available to us now. So all the way back to our illusion of changing apps on your phone or your computer, changing stations on your TV to that point, 
Isn't it interesting when you're watching videos on your phone and you flip it up, you know, to go to the next video? It's like the old school way we used to change channels. I'm just like, dude, seriously, we got an old school TV going on now? Like, that's how we watch our videos? Are you serious? Anyway, all of that being said, we have lots of potential to redo the world. And it starts with our own outlook and perspective on ourselves, on our world, on our life, on our family, on our friends, on our mishpacha. I said this before, and I pray that we begin to do this address each other by their virtues start seeing people's virtues it's easy to see people's failures but my gosh if we start seeing people's virtues imagine what that's going to do to the person you know people sometimes walk around on edge going why are you looking at me like that i'm gonna fight you i'm gonna shoot you there's people who literally shoot and kill people maim people off of an unidentified look. They're like, I don't know why you're looking at me like this, but I feel threatened, so I'm going to take you down. That happens in this world today. So imagine just the overturning of that. You know, I'm looking at you because this and this about you is something that's amazing. Or did you know that you're a creation, that you're a creation of the most high God, like the one who created all this, he saw it fit for you to be created because you were born for such a time as this. All of us have come into creation because there's a particular thing that only we can do. And it's through the journey of our life that we finally figure that out. Bezrat Hashem. Hopefully sooner before or later, right? But what our purpose is, and we, we start doing that. So anyway, that cuts off the edge because, you know, people are like, I'm just waiting on you to be mean to me so you can give me a reason to, you know what, you know, and it's just like, well, first of all, I was just going to say good morning. You don't have to tell me how you're doing. You don't have to tell me good morning back. I'm just letting you know good morning. I don't hate you. <laughs> and boom, you've diffused many bombs by doing that. I do this all the time to people. And sometimes people get annoyed with me and they're like, Matt, well, if you don't quit talking to me. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be mad right now. I had a rough morning. I'm like, well, sorry you had a rough morning. Good morning. Or hi, you know, maybe not a good morning, but hi, you know, just know there's someone who acknowledges your presence, you know, and they're like, well, I wish you would leave me alone. I'm like, okay. But anyway, this is the kind of stuff that we are heroes in doing. Okay. So it's customary not to marry or to cut one's hair during the period of the Omer. However, if a situation arises, which calls for the recital of the Shekianu, the bracha for something new, like new clothes, new possessions, or a new experience you have in your life, one should recite the blessing even though one does not do so when in mourning. So yeah, we're in the morning time, but if the Shekianu appears and you get something new and it's just like, oh, well, Baruch Adonai, you know, start singing the Shekianu, it's like, yep, uh, you can do it. <laughs> so check this out. Here's where it gets crazy. Regarding the tradition of not cutting one's hair, the custom is to refrain from doing so for 33 days, which means log by Omer, it's time to get all fresh and clean, clean. However, there is a diversity of tradition. Boy, don't you just love hearing that word? Diversity of tradition. 
as to which of the days of Omer constitute these 33 days? Could it be the first 33 days? Is the 33 days scattered throughout the time? Hmm, I don't know. It says, according to the Sephardic tradition, people do not marry or cut their hair for the first 33 days. From the 34th day on, they do. On the 33rd day itself, which is Lagba Omer, they marry but do not cut their hair. Unless Lagba Omer falls on a Friday, in which case the hair is cut in honor of Shabbat. Some Ashkenazic communities observe the custom of not marrying or cutting hair from Rosh Chodesh Iyar. So I don't know if you know this, but Rosh Chodesh Iyar is like, uh, what, like a week or two or at least two weeks in the count of the Omer. We haven't reached Rosh Hodesh ER yet. That's this weekend after Shabbat. And Ashkenazim are like, yeah, 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 we're going to get to it. Just stand by, you know. Anyway, Sephardi are like, yeah, we're already on it, you know. So, uh, yeah. It says they marry and cut their hair on Lagba Omer itself and then continue to refrain from doing so until Three days before Shavuot. My goodness, this whole three-day thing is just, it, it just be knocking me in the face sometimes. I'm like, my gosh, all these connotations of three days. Because you know, the original three days before Shavuot, what were we told to do? Clean yourself up. It's time to get fresh and clean. Because in three days, Hashem is going to come down on the mountain and he's going to speak to you. So go wash your clothes. Separate from your wives, you know, all of that. Like, so the Ashkenazim were like, yeah, you know, we're going to make sure that at least three days before Shabbat, we, we get ourselves into the frame of mind of like, hold up. And then it says, some Ashkenazi communities follow the Sephardi custom described above. So there's one time Sephardi do this, Ashkenazi do this, and Ashkenazi say, well, Sephardi do that, we're going to do that. You're like, bro, what are y'all doing? <laughs> um, just loving Hashem. <laughs> That's what we're doing. So it says some Ashkenazi communities do that. Okay. However, they do permit cutting hair on Lagba Omer itself. So some people are like, I'm not going to cut my hair on Lagba Omer. Others are like, I'm going to cut my hair on Lagba Omer. In general, so let's bring it all in. It's all over the board because different, different diversities in general the spirit of mourning is relaxed on lag ba omer and the day is observed as a minor holiday thus we do not recite tak noon on lag ba omer tak noon is the penitential prayers where you put your head down and uh it's after the shimona esrei and things like that we also refrain from doing so on the afternoon before. Many times when there's a joyous occasion coming up, the, the, the afternoon prayer before that. So like the, the minka before the first day of the holiday, you know, uh, like every, every Friday eve, every Friday afternoon is the before Shabbat. So we try not to do any morning customs and during the afternoon before Shabbat 
or the afternoon before a festival starts. So that's what this is talking about. And although we do not marry during the Omer period, uh, it matches may be arranged. So Shidduch, you can do a Shidduch, okay? Get it all set up and then be like, all right, so after this time, we'll get married. So you're allowed to do that. And you may make a festive meal to mark the engagement. Though the celebration should be minimized. So turn down for what? Turn down because this is a time of mourning, but you can get your celebrate on just a little bit. And it says some follow the custom when writing letters during the Omer period of adding a relevant day of the count to the salutation so that the counting is always remembered. So in your hello, good morning, how are you? It's like, well, happy 10th day of the Omer, you know, or good 10th day of the Omer to you. Some kind of way in your salutation, you put the Omer count in there. So some people have a custom to do that, which shouts out to Dr. Lynn, may she live and be well. She did that on the chat thread today. So that was awesome. Speaking of the Omer, Shall we count? Let's count the Omer together. I'm going to put on my screen the Omer count so that we can count together over here. Last night we counted 10 days of the Omer. So here we go with the bracha for tonight's Omer. Do the Omer count. Okay. All right, so I'm going to put the English up here, and then uh, you are more than welcome to do the Hebrew. I am going to stand. I'll be off screen, but you should direct your attention to the screen share here. All right. Kolechad, here we go. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam. Asher Kedshanu Bimetsvata Betibanu Al Sefirat Ha Omer. Today is 11 days, which is one week and four days of the Omer. May the merciful one restore the holy temple to its place speedily in our days. Amen. Selah. We want Mashiach now. For the choir master, a song with instrumental music, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his countenance shine upon us forever. That your way be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The nations will extol you, O God. All the nations will extol you. The nations will rejoice and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples justly and guide the nations on earth forever. The peoples will extol you, O God. All the peoples will extol you, for the earth will have yielded its produce, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all from the farthest corners of the earth shall fear him. Sleeka.
We implore you by the great power of your right hand, release the captive, accept the prayer of your people, strengthen us, purify us, awesome one, mighty one, we beseech you, guard as the apple of the eye those who seek your oneness, bless them, cleanse them, bestow upon them forever your merciful righteousness, powerful holy one in your abounding goodness, guide your congregation, only an exalted one. Turn to your people who are mindful of your holiness. Accept our, accept our supplication and hear our cry. You who knows secret thoughts, blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. Master of the universe, you have commanded us through Moshe, your servant, to count Sfirat HaOmer in order to purify us from our evil and uncleanness. As you have written in your Torah, you shall count for yourselves from the day following the day of rest, from the day on which you bring the Omer as a wave offering. The counting shall be for seven full weeks. Until the day following the seventh week shall, your count, shall you count 50 days, so that the souls of your people, Yisrael, may be cleansed from their defilement. Therefore, may it be your will, Adonai our God and the God of our forefathers, that in the merit of the Sfirat HaOmer, which I counted today, the blemish that I have caused in the Sfirah of Netzach Sheb Gevura, be rectified and I may be purified and sanctified with supernal holiness. May abundant bounty thereby be bestowed upon all the worlds. May it rectify our Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama from every baseness and defect, and may it purify and sanctify us with your supernal holiness. Amen. Can you hear on its own? So meditation. Does it does it give me a meditation or no? Okay, there, that, I guess that's it. Rukashim. But endurance and discipline. So get started with today's journal questions and exercise. So I guess if you have that app, they have a, a fancy thing for that. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Ah, counting the Omer. Okay, so only got about five minutes left. Uh, if anyone has any questions or uh, anything pressing on their hearts or that they'd like to comment or discuss, the mic is open. It's been open the whole time. Just forgot to mention that. <laughs> but just in case, if not, I shall. Okay. Could yes. I, is it okay if I read my little blessing online? Mine has the meditation following. Well, come on in. <laughs> okay. It is, it's called back to today. Before you were formed in the womb, your days were numbered and set in place. They are the chapters of the lessons you came here to learn. The faces of the wisdom this world has to teach you, the gateways to the treasures this lifetime alone can bestow. A day enters, opens its doors, tells its story, and then returns above, never to visit again. Never, for no two days of your life will share the same wisdom. 
היום יום 17, השפן נאטו. אמן. אמן. תודה רבה. interesting because when we look at how the Mashiach teaches us to view not worrying about tomorrow mm-hmm. you know and it's crazy too because you know we're learning about discipline this week like Gavura but what is the what is the netzak in there you know what's the endurance what's the the victory even? You know, and, and, and the fact of living out our days, you know, teach us to number our days, as the psalmist says. So very, very beautiful. Anyone else? Um, see here. I think I will just basically conclude with a little insight here from Rabbi Shloma. Majestic. Uh, I'm going to put this on the screen and I just want everybody to see like this is a really cool uh, source called Azadic and his student. This is a free publication, by the way. But um, in here, it, it has many, many different things. So when we look at the Zadik, you know, Uh, that they're like the Beit HaMikdash, the significance of miracles, which is what I want to go to. Because one of the things is that Yeshua did so, so many miracles. And they weren't just done just because like, hey, here's some miracles Mashiach can do. There's a reason for it. So where is that at? Okay, I'm going to. Figure this out here. Does this little thing work? Yeah, here we go. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> All right, cool. Yay, found it. Thank you, Hashem. Okay, so uh, Zadik is compared to a Beta Magdash is the section. It says, and so he went and walked into the shul and indeed saw this great Zadik, but looking at him, he thought to himself, uh, it goes, this is a weirdly page thing. Okay, page 45 to 46, where's page 46? <laughs> oh, guess I gotta go up. Sorry, everyone, hope you're not getting dizzy. <laughs> He thought to himself, well, I don't see anything unusual. Just a human being who looks like anyone else. Isn't it interesting that with the Mashiach, it's like, well, he just looks like anyone else. Like there's no, nothing that gives Mashiach away is like, hey, esteem this guy. He's awesome. He's amazing. It's just like, well, he looks into his Siddur to Davin, just like the rest of us. You know, the Mashiach was at an Arab Shabbat table. You know, like candle lighting was happening and he was just kind of like, okay, Shabbat Shalom. Crazy to think about the light of the world, watching the light of the world being kindled. <laughs> Is this who they all get so excited about? As he stood there deep in thought, the Zadik 
check it out, who could read everything that was going on in his mind, called him over and said, do you have any questions to ask? You know, when Mashiach was like knowing the thoughts that were stirred up in their heart, he said, it says, no, he replied. You know, the Zadik has got to be like, boy, you know, you come on, you know, looking at him with the, the office face. It says, well, then they tell me or well, then tell me a story. There was once a Jew who lived in Israel in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, but never went to visit the Beit HaMikdash. The people in his community traveled there for every holiday and used to come back bubbling with excitement. They were full of inspiration and stories to tell about their experience, but he himself would never go. He was getting older and said to himself, at one point, if I don't go now, I don't know if I will ever have the chance to go. Maybe I should take the opportunity to go to the Beit HaMikdash. So he begins his travels, coming to a fork in the road. He didn't know which road to take to Yerushalayim. He, he stopped a young boy and asked him the way. Astonished, the boy raised his eyebrows and exclaimed, you don't know which road takes you to Jerusalem? A man of your age doesn't know the way to Jerusalem when you're supposed to go there three times a year? No, that child had to be like, man, what's your problem, bro? Anyway, he was embarrassed, of course, but he finally managed to get the directions and proceed on his way. He soon came to another fork in the road and once again had to go through the same embarrassment. This just repeated itself again and again until he finally arrived in Jerusalem. <clears throat> After finding his way to the Beth of Mikdash and entering its gates, he was shocked to see it filled with a hefty number of goats, sheep, and cows, rows of tables on which meat was being chopped up as if in a butcher shop, and the Kohanim, which are the priests, running around barefoot, because there are no shoes in the temple, and one Kohen would be occupied with the stirring the blood contained in a particular vessel, while another would be sprinkling blood on the altar. He looked at the scene and said, I can't believe it. This is it? This is what all the commotion is about? A bunch of barefooted people and all these animals running around? Lost in thought, he was approached by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest who said, excuse me, I see you have an animal here you want to sacrifice. Can you tell me in connection to what sin are you bringing it? The man began to stutter and said, it's really not for a sin. I'm not the kind of person who commits sins. But just to be sure, in case I did something somewhere that was not 100%, I came here. The Kohen Gadol interrupted him and said, but what about what you did in so-and-so's house a week ago, Monday night? When the Zadik described exactly what this person had done himself on a Monday night, the week before, the person turned pale. Then he said, and what about what you did a few weeks before that on Tuesday afternoon in this part of the city? 
The person again went pale, realizing that the Zadik had holy vision and could see everything he did. At that point, he finally recognized what a Zadik is and asked the Rebbe for a path to guide him in sincere repentance. Yes, a person could stand in the holy Beta Mikdash and instead of seeing godliness and spirituality, see a bunch of animals' blood and barefooted people. Now, I just want to point out that if we ever wondered if Yeshua was a Zadik, um, look at what are some of the attributes of the Zadik among many things and the whole thing about asking the way to repentance. So we want Mashiach now and the closing blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who gave us the Torah of truth and implanted eternal life within us. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. May everyone experience beautiful miracles. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Continue to change and rectify creation. Bezrat Hashem and Laila Tov.